Hi, I'm uh, Dan from the Rivers Trust. And I'm Emily, and I'm also from the Rivers Trust. So this is another episode of Rambling About Rivers, the Rivers Trust podcast, where we talk about everything river related from climate change to river restoration. And today we've got a special for National Tree Week, which is the UK's largest uh, annual celebration of trees, uh, bringing together um, conservation sector volunteers and tree lovers to uh, plant thousands of trees and mark the start of the annual tree planting season. Uh, And we've today uh, brought partners from the Woodlands for Water project, uh, which was developed by Riverscapes Partnership, uh, supported by DEFRA, and it aims to create uh, 3,150 hectares of trees and six catchments across the UK, uh, working in partnership with um, the Rivers Trust, the National Trust, Woodland Trust, and the Beaver Trust. And we're really excited today to be joined by uh, Eva, Steve, and Saren. So should we get into it? And uh, yeah, we'll introduce um, our guests. Yeah, let's do it. So yeah, I'm Saren Patterson and I'm the Woodlands for Water project lead at the Rivers Trust. Hey, I'm Eva Bishop and I am head of communications and education at Beaver Trust. Hi there, I'm Steve Edmonds. I'm a Trees and Woodlands advisor in the southwest of England for the National Trust. Awesome. Well, great to have you all here today. Um, And uh, yeah, got some fascinating projects and we're really interested to hear kind of uh what you get up to and why uh, trees are, are so important so first off is uh why are trees along rivers uh are crucial uh, for biodiversity and that one's for you yeah great question i mean trees are crucial for so many reasons not just biodiversity but you know our ancient woodland supports more species than any other land-based habitat in the uk um, which is incredible. And so if you get that alongside riverscapes, riversides where you've got the water component as well, which is really important in you know hot summers, then you've got a really important environment for all sorts of biodiversity. But it's important for many species. So invertebrates, lichens, fungi, some of the sort of less easy to grasp, you know, we, we know our birds and we and you can see those, but not so many people understand maybe what lives um, beneath the canopy in some of our woodlands. Um, But they're also really important for flood and storm runoff and pollutant filtering between agricultural land and rivers, Um, temperature temperature control, so within the woodland and as they overhang water, so you sort of get lovely shading and cooling effects in rivers where you've got woodlands along riparian corridors, Um, which is good for fish and aquatic species, so you've sort of got that woodland along rivers is that sort of um the edge territory where you're combining habitats which is makes them even more important i think um yeah so that's a sort of uh, overview of why they're important to start with but i think there's a lovely example sort of talking diving straight into the sort of beavers and the fact that they obviously enjoy um, wet woodland. There's a beautiful example, which is the willow tit, which is one of um, the most endangered resident bird species in the UK, which is reliant on young scrubby woodland because they excavate um, nests in sort of standing deadwood 
and they prefer their diet dependent on sort of damp environments. So what we've started to see is willow tits starting to breed in beavery uh, wet woodland. Um, so we'd love to see more and more of this across the countryside. Amazing, just kind of gives a really good insight into the multi-functionality of, of trees and what they can provide to the kind of that wider ecosystem. That's a, that's a really nice and really good example of the, the beavers there. And yeah, amazing. Um, Emily? Yeah, that's such an amazing example. And it's I, I just love that about kind of conservation and tree planting and nature in general is the way you can do one thing and then you, you can't really even tell where that's going to lead. Um, and so what you restore habitats and then you find all of these amazing things that get kind of drawn back and, and populations kind of coming back to the forefront. That's really exciting. Mm. Um, and Steve, so you work for the National Trust. Um, could you just tell us a bit more about the kind of tree planting activity that the National Trust takes part in and what that means for your organisation? Yeah, sure. Um, it's it's a very hot topic now obviously within the National Trust, it's quite a hot topic sort of nationally with, you know, all organisations. That's why there's, you know, a few of us from different organisations on this on this podcast today. Um, some of you might well have heard the National Trust has set a, a sort of a national target to have planted 20 million trees by 2030. Um, that figure basically has come about from it's not although it sounds 20 million sounds like a very easy figure to have plucked out the air it is actually based on some science it's based on the land that we've got available um, it's designed to contribute to our land and nature targets as well as to contribute to our net zero target by 2030 as well um, roughly 10 percent of national trust land currently is wooded um, the government's uh, climate advisory panel target for for england is to get up to 17 percent that means the National Trust needs to rewood or wood about 18,000 hectares of its own land. Um, if we average about 1,100 trees a hectare, then that would be about 20 million trees. It would mean that our percentage on National Trust land has gone from 10% up to the 17% the that's been set countrywide. So, so that's a little bit of the reasoning why, why it's there. Um, but it's really interesting and in it's a very new thing for a lot of teams. I think when people think of National Trust Rangers, they probably think that tree planting is something that's bread and butter to most of them. But actually, because the National Trust owns so much woodland on its estates, we've got a lot of people who have got a lot of experience and a lot of know-how in managing existing woodlands, but creating new ones is actually quite novel. Um, and there's not a, a huge amount of experience within the team. So it's been quite a learning curve. Um, for a lot of teams but that's quite exciting in itself um you know lots of new opportunities lots of new skills to be developed lots of new exciting plans um and it's going alongside lots of other change as well it's not just woodlands there's a uh, lots of other priority habitats being sort of planned to be created so thousands of hectares of other priority grassland heathland other habitats as well um and so yeah so basically teams have got a lot on their plate uh they've also obviously got the day-to-day -day job they've got footpaths they've got um fences they've got relationships with tenants and stakeholders and visitors and all that so so yeah, it's a very busy time um and the tenant one is the tenant farmer one is is a sort of a very hot topic um in terms of you know you might have heard some things in the press about the way the national trust is changing around some of its tenancies um a lot of these are actually going to be really, really positive changes that are going to happen. Um, woodland on National Trust land has often been excluded from tenancies. Um, the tenants of National Trust farms have often thought that the woodland is not their ballpark. It's nothing to do with them and it's for the trust to sort out. And that's not really been helped by 
past agri-environment schemes where, you know, any landowner has to go to the Forestry Commission for the woodland bit if they want some money for the way they manage it, and they have to go to Natural England for the way they manage their non-wooded part of their land. So um, we're hoping that through our plans for woodland creation, we can actually change and improve some of those relationships with tenancies and bring a more holistic mindset into the way that trees on farms are seen. Um, change rural rural economies make farms a bit more diverse um so yeah so so that's i think a really positive thing that will hopefully come out of it um i work on the the, the woodlands for water partnership the river skates partnership with the rivers trust and the beavers trust and the woodland trust uh, so i work with national trust teams throughout the southwest helping them plan their woodland creation projects as well as in the the north devon and west somerset pathfinder catchment as well working off trust land with other private landowners um but within the trust uco and woodlands water is just one strand there's people doing green recovery challenge fund planting there's people in community forest schemes we've got our own internal blossom funding for for sort of fruit trees and trees with you know lots of good nectar sources we've got various grants and wills so there's there's sort of projects cropping up all over the place um from small scale right up to, to really large landscape scale stuff um, but the UCO and the Woodlands Waters really helping, I think, to to sort of push people on that catchment scale and catchment improvement. So all the things that Eva talked about, the benefits that trees can bring in the water environment, the, the Woodlands for Water and the UCO project has really helped sort of focus the mind uh, on, on that aspect, really. Um, so, yeah, so lots of big change in the trust. And, yeah, it's a real sort of uh, real momentum at the moment, some great projects underway. Awesome, that's uh, fascinating to hear. And I guess this is a question for for you, Steve, but maybe uh, some of the uh, other guests. Is obviously we are experiencing climate change. Our climate is changing. Um, are you thinking kind of about different tree species that might you know uh, be appropriate in future climates? Is that something that you can consider when you know through your tree planting that you're planting now? You're thinking you know 10, 20 years and in the future. Yeah, so it's um it's one of the um one of the topics that's often discussed when you're talking about tree planting, and one of the main reasons it's discussed is because um and nobody from the Woodland Trust or the Forestry Commission would mind me saying this. It's the one point where they diverge on their policy. So the Woodland Trust are very much focused on uh, native species, locally sourced genetics, and their policy, their standpoint is that that is those woodlands that you plant with locally sourced trees will be the most resilient to change. The Forestry Commission's approach is um, more that the local or trees have never had to adapt to climate change happening so quickly. And therefore we need to look at sourcing trees that either different species or similar species, but have a genetic um, source that's come from maybe two or three degrees further south. So maybe, you know, getting your oak trees from central or southern France, that kind of thing. Um, for us in the National Trust, we've got, you know, we're fortunate enough to have a lot of land to play with. We've got lots of big projects. We can do a bit of both. And I would always encourage people to do a bit of both. The best thing we can do, the best way to answer this and many other questions is to be as diverse as possible. So if you're planting 20 hectares, even if you're planting two or three hectares, you should have room to plant some very local, uh, locally sourced trees. But there's probably room to chuck in a few trees as well that maybe according to all the modelling, you know, might be better suited to our climate in 50, 60 years time. And some parts of the country will 
that will be even more important than others. So where I am down in the southwest, stuck out into the Atlantic, the predictions say that actually our climate is likely to change a little bit less than some other parts of the country. If you're in the southeast, you really need to think about, you know, how your trees are going to fare in the future. So, yeah, it's definitely something that that most people are thinking about. Yeah, great question. Yeah, great answer. And, uh, you know, I think it just highlights the, you know, the complexity of tree planting. It's not just simply, you know, a tree. It's a tree in the right place, but also yeah. the right tree, you know, for the future as well. So, oh, thanks for that answer. Yeah. I think it's also about system system resilience, isn't it? As you touched on there, Steve, it's not just about what trees, it's about where they are and what water sources they have and how we're managing our riverscapes and our, and our catchments. And because um, particularly the young trees with, with riparian planting are going to need some water in order to thrive and keep going and not dry out in the next drought, which is guaranteed to come every single year from here. You know, it's all, it's, it's about, I think it's really sensible to look at resilience species but also system resilience and we do know you know scientifically that um a lot of our native species rely on native broadleaf trees and so we can't you know if we if we divert from that we're going to undermine them there are something like either 200 or 600 species that rely solely on oak trees if you remove all the oak trees they're going to go you know it's thinking thinking like that so we need to pr both protect and think of um future resilience but also how it all interacts together Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just the, the complexity of tree planting, it's, uh, it's phenomenal, really. I, I just add to that as well. I think going on to the point that you just made, Eva, I think one thing that's probably going to be very hard for a lot of people who've been in the conservation sector for a long time is to get their head around some of those species choices. So you just yeah. rightly pointed out the value of oak. If you look at most studies in terms of how many of our invertebrates use certain species of trees, then next on the list pretty much are willows and birches. Now, I know, having spent most of my working life in conservation, that the majority of conservation practice and the, the term that's been used for years of scrub bashing, the species that are often targeted most have been willows and birches because they are pioneer species that grow very quickly. And, I, you know, whether people have been managing grasslands, heathlands, scrublands, even woodlands and wetlands, people have normally targeted birches and willows because they do take over and we've had this sort of 20 30 40 year obsession with battling with succession well actually if you're an invertebrate chances are willows and birches after oak are some of the species you need most so yeah we've got to i think just shift some of the perception of those of the value of those trees because mm. oaks take a long time to grow but actually there's a lot you can do with willows and birches and just allowing them to grow a little bit there's also a lot you can do to manage them if you reintroduce beavers yeah, yeah <laughs> i'd be remiss exactly. if i didn't say that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting and it's so complex like it's just such a good kind of example of the fact that nothing in nature exists in isolation and you know to say one thing you've got to say something else first I think when you start to think about it about everything that you need to consider and all of the species and all of their requirements it's, it can feel really overwhelming um, but I think well for me at least when I kind of get overwhelmed by eco-anxiety and my thoughts about the future and that sort of thing I think taking action is probably the one thing that helps me to feel better and so if our listeners sat at home thinking they want to get involved with tree planting what action would you all recommend that they take i guess i can start with that um so yeah as you say it's it can be such an overwhelming landscape when you look at tree planting there are so many different offers there are lots of different advisors 
And sometimes they all say different things as well. And especially if you're a landowner and you may have three or four different advisors coming down your drive telling you different things, it's difficult to know who to trust and what to do. So I always think there's there's great resources out there, the Woodland Trust, the Rivers Trust, the Riverscapes Partnership. We have great information for landowners on the different tree planting options. But also within the Woodlands for Water project, we have advisors um, across the country that can specifically come out and go through all these options with you and try and find the best solution for your land. So I definitely recommend that you get in touch with your local Rivers Trust because there are always options there. Um, and of course, there are lots of government options at the moment as well, one being the England Woodland Creation Offer. That's probably the most financially incentive uh, offer that we've got at the moment. Um, so essentially, if you're a landowner, you could potentially receive up to £8,000 per hectare. And that includes all of the different uplift payments that you can receive for, for example, planting in a riparian area where you are creating that river shading and potential flood mitigation as well. So there's lots, lots of options to consider. Um, but yeah, one one kind of piece of advice would be to just keep keep your options open and keep your keep your mind open to different possibilities as well. Um, planting can come in all different shapes and sizes. And I think the local rivers trusts are really there to help you make the best decisions for your land. And I think there's a lot of different agroforestry options coming down the pipeline as well. They might not be available right now, but I think in the future, that is one thing that we're really advising DEFRA to kind of consider and make sure that there are better options and better financial options for agroforestry. Um, I think there's also worth saying if you're not a landowner, you can still get involved. So it's good to start with sort of local groups. Um, you can find your local network on the Tree Council website by putting in your sort of postcode. But also there's loads and loads of community and school orchards springing up. There's, there's one near me that's not only planted the trees as a group, but then welcomed everyone in and sort of looks after them together and enjoys things like wassailing and other seasonal activities. So you sort of take responsibility and ownership of the trees. Uh, beyond planting, which is really important for sort of nature connection. Um, but also, I think anyone with a, a small garden could probably have a tree in it. And there's a brilliant book out at the end of last year by Kate Bradbury called The Tree in My Garden, which looks at the effects of planting just one tree and gives you loads of options for which to choose, you know, as well as some practical information. Um, so that's a really lovely way to look at it. It's just plant one tree and it's a, it's a really rewarding thing to do. And then, and then you've got sort of volunteering opportunities, perhaps with larger organizations like National Trust and Woodland Trust who have access to larger patches of land if you don't have any access. So I think there are lots of things that people can do um, if they're really into National Tree Week and want to get involved. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask, what was the what was the book called? Because I'll put a trumpet a link into there. Uh, oh, great. It's yeah. Kate Bradbury's book, The Tree in My Garden. Awesome. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, good plug, Eva. Yeah, I think there'll be lots of National Trust teams desperate for volunteers to help with tree planting. So, and uh, and as you as you suggest, they won't be the organisation, the only organisation either. There'll be, you know, all various trust, woodland trust, wildlife trust. Um, the other place I would suggest as well is almost, um, as far as I'm aware, almost all parish, town, 
districts, county councils have declared climate emergencies over the past four or five years as well. They will all have their own tree planting plans as part of that. So yeah, there's there's many different avenues that people can get involved in um, because obviously for, you know, not everyone has the, the privilege of being able to decide where they want to plant their own woodland. So yeah, for most people, it's going to be a chance of getting involved with others. Um, but yeah, there's so many community um, initiatives that yeah, just find one of those avenues on social media. It won't take you long on social media to find someone in your patch who's, uh, who's planted some trees. And Dan, I just wondered if you actually had anything to add on that. Obviously, you used to work for a local Rivers Trust, and I just wondered if you had any advice for people wanting to get involved. Yeah, I mean, um, absolutely. And, uh, um, there's also, uh, for people in kind of more urban areas, there's also kind of quite a lot of urban projects, things like City of Trees do great, great projects as well. So have a look out. Um, for those organizations as well doing kind of more urban focused tree planting as well so yeah i think there's lots of opportunities out there into a really exciting space i was actually going to pick up a, a quick question um around uh so you mentioned Sarah, is you know landowners and obviously there's quite a lot of demand for farming and landowners to do a lot of tree planting etc we've got you know huge targets uh to to um to meet um uh, but also, you know, obviously, there's a lot of pressure on our land going forward, um, especially in the UK as a small kind of country, um, land base. How do we maximise the benefit from tree planting? So make sure that we are delivering as much as we can from those areas that we are, you know, tree planting. Maybe a tricky one to answer, but is it is it is it agroforestry? Uh, agri is it short coppice rotations, et cetera, et cetera? I'd be really interested to kind of... Yeah, I think those are really good options. It's just a shame at the moment that the incentives aren't there for agroforestry unless you kind of want to go down that market creation route. Um, so I think we are kind of looking at the England Woodland Creation Offer as the best financial incentive at the moment. But when we're going out and we're talking to landowners, talking to farmers, we would never lead in by saying you should be taking uh, productive land out of agricultural production. That's just not something we'd advise what we're really looking to do is, is try and find where those bits of land are that aren't utilised at the moment. Um, and often these are riparian corridors. Um, so usually what we would do is we'd take the landowner down to the, to the river or the watercourse that ran through their farm. Even actually, if even if it's just a, a small water ditch, anything that's around water is something that we're really interested in exploring. And essentially we then look at what, what kind of planting scheme could we design which will then maximize all of the benefits that you get from tree planting, but then won't compromise uh, the landowner's activity in terms of if it's livestock <clears throat> or if it's any kind of crop rotational stuff as well. We'll make sure that they kind of work in harmony together. And I think there's just so many benefits for landowners when they're looking at their whole farm management plans that you can kind of build trees into. And the biggest one is obviously looking at diffuse agricultural pollution. So looking at how water is moving across a farm um, and actually having that riparian buffer of trees, safeguarding that water course can be great if you are trying to kind of ensure that pollutants aren't entering that river. But they can also be great for preventing flooding on fields as well um, and also then providing shade for cattle and livestock. They're, they're also all options as well. So I think, yeah, there's there's lots of benefits to unpack with tree planting, but you just need to make sure that you're not compromising on ensuring that the land you're using shouldn't be being used for something else. 
Cool. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. I think, you know, trying to maybe maximize those small opportunities as well. So, you know, we often see like small field corners uh, and, you know, recognizing there's, there's actually quite a lot of opportunities that are missed. Uh, and sometimes those, you know, say UK, we kind of don't realize those opportunities. But if you add them all up, actually, they could be quite significant. Yeah, absolutely. And we completely realize as well that UCO won't be suitable for everything. If you're looking at anything less than a hectare, then unfortunately that falls outside of that fund. But there are other options available. So more woods from the Woodland Trust, they look at anything below a hectare as well. So you can anything that's, you know, 0.5 hectares and above. Um, and they offer a different set of incentives. So yeah, it's trying to find the the, the right offer for your for your farm or your land. Awesome. Thanks. Great. So if anybody else got anything to add on, on to that, I guess you touched on it I, Steve, I, through tendency. I was just going to say, I think um, I'd, I'd second Sarah, Sarah's point about um, agroforestry. There seems to be a uh, quite a surge in demand for it at the moment um, from, from all sorts of sides, which is great. Um, I have heard there's a chance that it might be one of the earlier elements of elms uh, than was originally planned. So I think it was originally not going to be uh, sort of introduced until like the second or third tranche of sort of options through elms. But I understand that that might be coming a bit quicker, which would be great news um, if it does. So it might mean, you know, people only maybe have to wait a couple of years to start working up agroforestry options as opposed to four or five, um, because I think it's such a it, it provides multiple benefits. And the, the good thing with agroforestry is obviously it's still being productive with your land. So what it does do is it it sort of removes that that hurdle, be it perceived or otherwise, of wasting productive land by having trees growing on them. If you're using it for agroforestry, you're getting all of those multiple benefits that Sarah just described, um, and you're using your productive land to actually grow stuff really well, be it you know fruit and nut producing trees with lines of arable crops down between them or having animals grazing in them. So yeah, I think the sooner we get agroforestry in, the, the easier and it will become for lots of landowners, and hopefully the sooner we'll sort of reduce this perceived tension of trees on in the farm landscape yeah just to add to that in parallel i know the soil association are also working on an agroforestry carbon code as well so hopefully you can then stack those benefits so if there's a government scheme that kind of then provides all the financial incentives for agroforestry you could then potentially look at the carbon options as well um, but as steve said i think we're, we're a couple of years off that being available to everyone um, but it's good to know that they are being worked on at the moment awesome that's a uh, really interesting um and some really good points there um i'm going to go off piece again as i always do on the podcast and ask questions that aren't in uh, the brief <laughs> uh but um one th uh, what i'm really interested in is one fun fact that you know about trees that uh, might be quite interesting people and it'd be great if that could be like tailored to your organization so maybe a fun fact around beavers and trees etc would be really interesting sorry to put you on the spot but that'd be interesting uh, and maybe i start are we, are we am i right in saying we're the least wooded uh, least wooded country in uh, europe is that right i think yeah i think so pretty much cool there's my fun fact Um, fun fact around beavers and trees. There's so many. I mean, <sighs> you totally put me on the spot. I can't think of one. Um, I mean, I think it's just absolutely 
staggering what they the multiple uses of trees with for, for beavers actually the fact that they eat them they take branches into winter food cache so that they can sort of survive cold winters they build dams with them really really resilient structures um and they uh and they build their lodges with them and they can sort of um take their yeah i don't know <laughs> i think they're just incredible incredible um species when it comes to the interaction with beavers and trees and how they open up the canopy on a riverscape that then results in a huge abundance of biodiversity so i think just generally my my i don't have a one single fact about beavers and trees i just think beavers and trees are the most incredible mixture for sort of the biodiversity bonfire as chris jones would call it that we need to reinstate in britain awesome that's, uh, yeah, that's good. Sorry to put into that. Oh, I guess my fact and one which was recently highlighted by the great short film produced by the Big Picture Scotland called Riverwoods, um, are that trees have an important role in salmon egg survival, especially in Scotland. Um, so obviously, we all know that temperatures are increasing with climate change and that inevitably impacts rivers and we've seen especially in Scotland how river temperatures have been increasing year on year and salmon eggs actually need a very precise temperature to survive and um, as the rivers are kind of warming the spawning rate of salmon has actually decreased significantly um, but actually by by planting riparian corridors of, of, of trees you can actually start to reduce that temperature in the water by cooling that area. Um, so I think that's just an incredible fact um, that trees can actually affect a species that you wouldn't even think to link with a tree. Um, but yeah, that's that's my fun fact. <laughs> awesome, thanks. Is there, is, there a, um, is there a link to that video that we can put in the show notes? Yes, there is. Yeah, there's a, there's a yeah, YouTube cool. link for the short yeah. film. Awesome. Um, so in terms of linking it to the organisation, I guess because I said earlier, the National Trust has a lot of existing woodland to manage. I think I would probably go for um, quite a long time ago, probably 12, 13 years ago, uh, I went on a course about managing woodlands for dormice led by Dr. Pat Morris, who literally wrote the book on dormice. Um, so he is the man to go to. Um, and one of the things that uh, obviously is a big issue for lots of woodland managers is the presence of deer and deer browsing. Um, and one of the things we instigated at the National Nature Reserve that I looked at in our some of the coppice woodland that we were coppicing was to cut hazel at shoulder high instead of ground height so coppicing as a standard practice normally cuts everything at ground level to maximize the produce to take as much wood out as possible um if you aren't deer fencing and you coppice at shoulder high then you reduce that risk of road deer browsing off the regrowth but the coolest fact about it from a dormice point of view is that that regrowth will produce fruit i.e hazelnuts about two or three years quicker than if it's cut at ground level so um yeah i've always kept that little nugget of information stored away for a happy day and today's the day <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> really? Oh, that's really fascinating. Mate. Cool. Well, I think we've got through our, our questions. Um, we could do another round of what is your favourite tree, if you want, uh, but that might also be putting people on the spot. Um, we can do that <laughs> What's your favourite tree? Is that a, a... Go on then, you, 
regular feature what's your favorite tree on your no and normally is normally it's what's your favorite river but because it's national tree week let's go with what's your favorite tree and we'll start with actually we'll start with emily i didn't know you were gonna ask me <laughs> oh gosh um what's my favorite tree i don't know that i can't i can't pick a favorite tree i like them all <laughs> and I don't want to be predictable and go oak, but I mean, I've got two. If you want time to think, yeah, so one of my, go, go, my, go. mine are beech for their beauty, particularly copper beech, and rowan for their berries for winter food for birds. I'll go. Awesome. I'll go for birch. Um, partly because, as I alluded to earlier, sort of often much maligned because it is a pioneer that grows quickly, but also its bark when you peel it off for lighting fires is just exquisite. And if you've read Norwegian Wood, you will, which is a classic book, I'd recommend <laughs> to anyone who hasn't read it about trees. If you haven't, if you haven't read that, once you have, your favourite tree will also be birch as well. So yeah. I think I'm going to have to go with a holly tree. I'm obsessed with holly trees. Um, every Christmas I buy another holly tree and I plant it in the garden. So I'm pretty sure at some point our garden will just be all holly. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I love their red berries in winter. I love how green the leaves are. And I just think they're, they're such a pretty tree. Okay, I'll go next. I'm going to go for because I don't think it will get a fair representation is the you. It's, you know, people think it's a bit of a, it's got bad connotations, you know, the deaf tree or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think you, it's an interesting tree. You often see it in graveyards, don't you? And um, yeah, I, I do like the you. And I also love the, the, the color of the, um, the wood. I don't know if you've ever worked with you as in wood, it's amazing. Like, I turned some like you once actually. Kind of, it's yeah, really beautiful. Amazing, isn't it? They're very characterful careful, trees. They're quite I dangerous, really good, the dust. I learned a really good fact about yews. Um, so they're often sometimes planted, especially when they're in graveyards down on mounds. And we have one across uh, the road from us that's that's on a mound and it's it's been called the hanging tree. And apparently this is where um, in olden Scotland at Leith Hall across the road uh yeah when they were going to hang people that's the tree they would use yep yeah, I knew that that's why I kind of support them because they're often you know negative aren't they so let's give them put them in a positive line okay this has been really difficult I've been I've been thinking <laughs> All of the tree. I don't want to offend any trees out there, um, so I am taking this quite seriously. But I do have two beautiful ash trees in my garden, and I adore them. Um, and one of them is sadly dying, uh, so I spend a lot of time looking at it and, and convincing myself that it's not dying, but it is. Um, so I'm giving it to the ash tree on the basis of my my grief. So. <laughs> oh. Awesome. Well. Um... That was awesome. That was a really interesting chat and um, hopefully you like the offbeat nature of my uh, questions and um, yeah, always entertaining. <laughs> wow, that was so interesting, wasn't it? Amazing, amazing. And I think it, you know, the take-home message, message from there was just how valuable trees are and how many services they provide to uh, the environment and ourselves. 
um, and the complexity um, of, you know, tree planting actually. Um, some really fascinating insights. Uh, and, you know, a bit of a, bit of a look into the future really, uh, possible uh, things on the horizon like agriculture forestry sounds really interesting. Um, so yeah, do you learn, what, what do you learn today, Emily? Well, I just found all of the kind of the idea of modeling and the need to do that to, to ensure that the trees we're planting now will still be okay in 10 years time. That's so interesting to me because obviously working for the Rivers Trust, the whole plant the right tree in the right place thing is kind of drummed into us, but I've, I've not really stopped to think about what that means. Um, and obviously the Rivers Trust, we're, we're kind of renowned for rivers, but last year the Rivers Trust movement planted, I think 277,000 trees. And, and the idea of having to do that level of thinking to make sure that all of those trees are planted in the right place is, is just, you know, it's pretty astounding, really. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed that and uh, podcast. And yeah, hopefully have a, another podcast for you soon. Uh, once again, thank you uh, to uh, all the guests today uh, and uh, uh, the Woodlands for Project and Riverscapes and the partners involved. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you next time. Bye. Bye.